Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Varner, the host of Dial P for Procurement here on Supply Chain Now. We're all products of history, world history, personal history, and business history. In fact, in many ways, business history is personal history. Many of the things we take for granted today were mind-blowing innovations back when they were invented. And the people that made them possible, well, they are always very unique and colorful characters whose stories should be told. We have more than our fair share of colorful characters in this week's episode. But first, I have a favor to ask. If you enjoy the unique blend of storytelling and business history that Scott Luton and I whip up for you on this week in business history, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and share a review. That is the best way to help others find us. This week's walk through business history will take us down the red carpet to the incorporation of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. If that doesn't sound familiar, it's the organization that hosts the Academy Awards, known to most of us as the Oscars. On May 4, 1927, the Academy was incorporated and two days later they held their first meeting. The Academy was the brainchild of Louis B. Mayer, the head of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, or MGM Studios. He intended for the Academy to be an elite group of actors, directors, writers, technicians, and producers. While there was some thought of maybe having an annual banquet, the awards were definitely not part of the original plan. So here's where I should pause. No, you have not tuned in to This Week in TMZ History or Talk Soup. So you know there has to be a business connection here. The Academy was founded for two primary reasons, and they weren't particularly artsy or sciencey, unless you consider green an artistic element and finance a science. It's the why behind the founding of the Academy that makes this a notable business history milestone. The Academy was founded for two at least publicly stated reasons. One, to mediate labor disputes with the industry's powerful unions, and two, to improve the film industry's image. Maybe somebody should have told Will Smith about that part. Let's start with the question of image. I think of Hollywood in the 1920s as the glamour days, 
furs and diamonds and shiny Duesenbergs pulling up in front of theaters as all of the light bulbs flash. But that's out of context. That's me today looking back. For to be students of history, we have to look at it through the lens of time. So what was going on in the United States in the 1920s? Well, we know they were roaring, in part because of prohibition, which took effect on January 17, 1920, and lasted into the 1930s. As a country, we were living through a great moral experiment. Liquor sales were prohibited, and yet everyone was partying. And organized crime was thriving in major cities. The country was split between people trying to be very good and people having a really good time being very bad. There was so much reforming to do. And the motion picture industry was definitely not going to escape unscathed. Reform organizations and censorship groups decried the entire industry as well as the impact it was having on America's young people. And while the movie studios were being attacked as a group, there was no one central voice to speak up in their defense. Some congressional testimony that I found, pulled from 1922, reads as follows. Hollywood is a colony of these people where debauchery, riotous living, drunkenness, ribaldry, dissipation, and free love seem to be conspicuous. These are some of the characters from whom the young people of today are deriving a large part of their education, views of life, and character-forming habits. From these sources, our young people gain much of their views of life, inspiration, and education. Rather a poor source, no? It looks as if censorship is needed, does it not? Now, clearly, not everyone looked at Hollywood through the same revisionist rosy glasses as I do. We're going to come back to censorship in a moment. So for now, we'll just say the Academy did not feel that outside censorship was warranted. That brings us to reason number two that the Academy was founded, the labor unions. Unions were wildly successful in the United States during World War I and they spread rapidly through a number of industries. And while Hollywood had been a largely open and free labor marketplace, some of the more construction-based jobs, i.e. those with the most overlap with existing labor unions, were starting to unionize. Carpenters and electricians, photographers and projectionists, then the musicians and the screenwriters. They wanted more standardization and working conditions between the studios and, of course, better benefits. At the same time, the role of technology was growing in the movie industry. With the technical behind-the-scenes individuals quickly starting to outnumber the on-screen talent, their relative leverage was growing. The potential power of skilled trade unions to bargain collectively and go on strike was looming large over the industry. And with one union per trade, the risk of a production being disrupted was very high. The only group that resisted unionization were the actors themselves. They saw the unions as being run by stage groups, like from Broadway in New York, 
and they just did not trust those stage types. The Academy pulled them into the fold, but back then they were just one equal skill group, not quite as dominating and limelight hogging as they are today. Now let's zoom out for a moment and look at the year 1927. Three very interesting things all happened in the movie industry that same year. We're already talking about the incorporation of the Academy, so that's the first one. Number two was the release of the very first feature film with sound. The Jazz Singer premiered on October 26, 1927. It was an instant sensation. Warner Brothers Studios that released the film were just considered sort of mid-level back then. So the fact that this movie earned over $2.6 million in the United States and abroad, almost a million dollars more than the previous record for a Warner Brothers film, was a huge event for the studio and for the industry. The capabilities of your studio's audio technicians might now determine how your movie did at the box office, which gave them more relative bargaining power and made their union and the electrician's union even more powerful. And then the third thing that happened in 1927. I promised we would return to censorship, and here we are. 1927 marked the first coordinated effort to encode principles of censorship into the film industry. Executives from three major studios, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, remember, Louis B. Mayer that we've already talked about, the head of MGM, he was the one that dreamed up the Academy. He was joined by Fox Film Corporation and Paramount Pictures. They created a list they called the don'ts and be carefuls. You'll have to look up the list to see what's actually on it. It's really funny. To today's eyes, the things on that list read like a script of the average PG-13 movie. Apparently, the don'ts and be carefuls from 1927 have become the must includes. But back in 1927, with outside censorship closing in on them, the movie industry decided self-censorship was a better answer. They would manage it themselves if they couldn't avoid it completely. At least that way, they only had to pass one board. Here we get an interesting little crash with the present moment. As I record this, Elon Musk is taking Twitter private in order to deal with First Amendment issues. You'll find people with passionately held opinions on both sides of this issue. Freedom of speech versus offensive content, majority opinions versus minority opinions. Well, things weren't so different 100 years ago. As entertainment, movies were a progression of stage shows and many of those could be a bit on the trashy side. As the studio houses got bigger and bigger in the 1920s, they were starting to form a national industry, but audience sensibilities still varied a lot by location. These new national studios quickly found out that a costume or a choice of words might be hilarious or dramatic or stunning in New York City and Los Angeles, 
but shocking and alarming pretty much everywhere else in the country. In 1915, there was a Supreme Court ruling, Mutual Film Corporation versus the Industrial Commission of Ohio, and it found that free speech did not apply to movies. As a result, individual states started setting up censorship boards. For these studios, with a lot of investment on the line, the situation was quickly becoming very complicated and extremely costly. The combined pressure of censorship and labor disputes brought the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to life, eventually leading to the introduction of their annual award ceremony. In May of 1929, the first awards banquet was held. Now, unlike today, the winners were announced before the award ceremony. Everyone was really just there to collect their awards, celebrate, and of course, to be seen. Now, it will probably not come as a total shock that despite its popularity and innovative achievements, the jazz singer, that first feature film was sound, was not allowed to compete for Best Picture. The Academy felt that it was unfair to allow a talkie to compete with the silent films. And yet, obvious snub notwithstanding, the Academy did make a piece of sorts with the progress in technology. That same year, they gave Thomas Edison an honorary award for the 40th anniversary of his contributions to the motion picture industry, including building the first motion picture studio named the Black Maria. The Academy Awards understood the innovation importance after all. Despite that nod to technology and the addition of 12 new branches, many of which are technical, there is still a hierarchy in Hollywood. In fact, only three members of the Academy have ever voluntarily resigned, and they all did so in 2022. Will Smith is the obvious one. Everyone knows about the slap heard around the world at this point. But the other two resignations actually tell us a little bit more and tie into the history that we've learned today. Those two people were sound engineer Tom Fleischman and production sound engineer Peter Kurland. They both resigned because eight of the more technical award categories, including best sound, were selected for presentation during commercial breaks. You would think by now, the Academy would have made its peace with the talkies. But apparently, this is a grudge that runs deep, all the way back to 1927. On that note, it is time to wrap up this edition of This Week in Business History. Thank you so much for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at SupplyChainNow.com. As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from, and be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review, and we encourage you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing you all nothing but the best. 
We'll see you here next time on This Week in Business History.